Welcome to the Conversations with Jesus podcast. I'm Johnny Lehman, a baptized man of God who has the amazing blessings of being a husband, father, and the pastor at Divine Savior Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. This podcast is designed to bring you the self-sacrificing love of Jesus found in the Bible through 15 to 20 minute episodes that focus on relevant life issues and what God has to say about them. Check out our website, DivineSaviorChurch.com, as well as our Facebook and Instagram pages if you would like to find out more about the incredible things that God is doing through our church family. It's no secret that we live in the age of Google and now the age of artificial intelligence where there is so much information flying around. But what is true? How do you decipher what is true? How do you know which path to take? How to make the right decision? That's where the book of Proverbs comes into play. Because the most important thing we need for navigating life is wisdom. And unless we have wisdom, everything else in life won't matter, won't work right, won't point us to the right direction. In fact, one could say that wisdom is competence in regard to the complex reality of life. Wisdom is knowing the right thing to do in every situation in life, even when the moral rules don't apply. Now, unfortunately, wisdom isn't just a simple skill to master. It's not a technique to learn or the right door to walk through. Wisdom is a path, a lifelong path of learning the best way to live life. Unfortunately, it's not on us to figure out which steps to take on our own. The book of Proverbs teaches us to know and trust God's wisdom for navigating the complex realities of life. And so in this series, as we start it this week, we'll be in this now the next 10 weeks, you'll learn the source of all wisdom the principles of wisdom, and specific application to some of life's most challenging realities. And the very first thing we're going to talk about today, first of all, is how do you get wisdom? How do you receive this wisdom? It can't come from within. It can only come from wisdom himself, our Lord Jesus, who isn't just an idea or a philosophy. He's a real person who came, who died, who rose, so we can know what life is truly all about. I cannot wait to not only jumpstart this initial week of Proverbs, but for you to enjoy diving into the amazing truths that God has to tell us in this book of the Bible. If I were to ask you, what is wisdom? What would you say? Knowledge? Intuition? Or as one of my brothers said in a Bible study one night, he, he has the gift of sarcasm unlike anyone else I've ever met. He said, wisdom sounds like it's just how not to be an idiot. <laughs> I would argue that wisdom is what our culture, and we see it every day here in South Florida, it's what our culture longs for the most. I recently read an article in the Harvard Gazette about the newest generation, Generation Z, so think 11 to 25-year-olds right now, and how it's becoming the most educated American generation, but has already experienced intense levels of confusion and anxiety and fear, levels that we haven't seen really before. As a society, we have access to more information now more than ever. Knowledge is abundant, but wisdom is becoming harder and harder to find because wisdom, or you, you can have knowledge, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't have wisdom, you're powerless. Here's what I mean by that. You can know great principles about dating, even marriage itself, but those principles in and of themselves are not going to choose 
your husband or your wife for you. You can know what a great workplace environment should be like, but that knowledge doesn't give you all the answers in resolving a real-time conflict. You can know how to make a budget. When unexpected expenses come, decisions need to be made, and odds are Dave Ramsey is not going to be there to help you. In other words, most life decisions we face, our knowledge doesn't cover them. There is no universal handbook that is every possible situation we could face with a how-to step-by-step of how to handle it. Wisdom is necessary. And I find it so sad that in our extremely educated, knowledge-filled, Google-obsessed age, we as a whole are more confused, more lost, and more alone. Why? Because we lack wisdom. Wisdom navigates the difficulties of things like artificial intelligence, can see through the lies of misinformation, can guide all of our lives to life decisions, and can give clarity to emotional stress. So what is wisdom? That's what the book of Proverbs will reveal to us. So before we get into this incredible book, I'm going to set some ground rules. All right, Here are the ground rules as we go through Proverbs. Ground rule number one, remember that Proverbs is poetry. We're going to read many Proverbs that say things like, if you do this, then this will happen. If you don't do this, this won't happen. These are not laws like the Ten Commandments. Remember the genre of literature here. This is really poetry. This is poetry about the realities of life and how the Lord navigates us through them. Secondly, Proverbs is a pattern. God is the creator of the world, also created the fabric for how life should be. When we strive to follow in line with that fabric, that's wisdom. It's when we try to break free from that fabric and create our own fabric, and our own meaning, that we crash and burn spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and physically. Number three, Proverbs is a conversation. In fact, Proverbs 3 verse 1 says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. Now, the scene King Solomon is setting, he wants you to think about you sitting down with your dad. And I would take that even one step further. It's you sitting down with your Heavenly Father as he talks with you about the realities of life. The real conversation here is not some millennial pastor, a.k.a. me, telling you how to live your life. That's not the real conversation. The real conversation you will be having is with your Creator, your Redeemer, who not only made you, but died for you and rose for you and longs to continually mentor you. So there's this closeness in tone. Imagine God sitting with you in your living room, eagerly excited to talk life with you, eager to be on the road with you as you're driving to work and talk about the things that are going on in your life. He is eager for such moments with you because he knows we cannot truly live life without his wisdom. In fact, wisdom is so essential that Solomon says, wisdom is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. You can be a billionaire. You can have the most romantic, fulfilling relationship in the world. You can be more intelligent than ChatGPT, but none of that comes even close to the treasure of God's wisdom. Makes me think of back in high school, we read the book, The Great Gatsby. I'm sure many of you did too. It's in chapter four of that novel that Nick Carraway sums up perfectly what life is like without wisdom. He's reflecting on all the different kinds of people he's met in New York City. And he says there really are only three types of people in the world. There are the pursued, the pursuing, and the tired. Don't you see this all over the place? 
Either you want to be the one that people are pursuing, the greatness you have that people are pursuing you, or you want to be on the pursuit to try to attain that greatness, or after all the struggle, you just feel tired and worn out. But in all of it, there's no lasting satisfaction, just a constant chase. We cannot truly live if we don't have wisdom. But then comes the big question. How do we gain such wisdom? Well, to answer that, first we need to know where we won't find it. Now, what would you say in general? I know this is dangerous to go into stereotypes, but in general with people, what would you say is the first place we often look to first for wisdom? Ourselves, right? The very first resource we look to is our experiences, our logic, how we see the situation. We look inside of ourselves way before we look outside of ourselves. In fact, if you're like me, typically I will do everything it takes to try to figure it out myself instead of looking for help right away. And I was thinking about that as my family and I, in our traditional Friday pizza movie night, we were watching Frozen 2. Now forgive me for the spoilers I'm about to give. You haven't seen it, but hey, it's been four years. You had your chance. But the main point of the movie, as in the case, and once you see it, it, it you see it all over almost every Disney movie. One of the main, main themes is this. Look within yourself, and you will find what you've always been looking for. It's this idea that is screamed into our headspace every day that to have wisdom, if you really want clarity in your life, the first thing you need is to figure out yourself. Then you'll know what path to take. Then you'll know how to make decisions. Once you figure out yourself, life is wide open in front of you. Well, Proverbs 3 confronts that definition of wisdom head on. What does Solomon say? Do not be wise in your own eyes. If we start to think that we can become wise in our own eyes, and we start to view ourselves as wise in and of ourselves, it doesn't end well. Now, wise here is chacham in Hebrew. It means skillful, cunning. There's different words for wisdom that Proverbs uses. It's this skillfulness idea. So when we start to become wise in our own eyes, marveling at our skills and our greatness, do you know what happens? I can say this from full-blown personal experience to my utter shame, but this is how my sin nature shows itself often enough. When I start to view myself as wise in my own eyes, when I look at my successes, it makes me more prideful. When I put everything into the pursuit of success, it makes me less able to take constructive criticism. It makes me more self-centered. It makes me a hoarder of glory. And so what I do is I crave that next hit of success for me to have the confidence I need to face life. Success has become my pursuit. It's happened to me so many times. It's how, I think for all of us, right, we're driven by this achievement-type mentality. Now, conversely, failure or suffering or disappointment so often knocks me off my feet. So when I, when I face a decision, not only do I not have wisdom, I loathe myself because so often Satan tempts me to see success as the answer to all issues. And if I'm not succeeding, well, then I'm failing. And if I'm failing... You start to question things. Does God really love me? Is God really there for me? You know how this cycle works. That clearly is not wisdom. And yet we do this all the time in parenting. When things and our children are not acting the way that we think they should, we instantly put that on ourselves and start to think, oh man, I'm a failure. Or when they're succeeding, we take pride and say, look at what I've done. It happens in dating. It happens in working. And even in our recreation, what do we try to do? We try to pull from within that feeling of stability of confidence, of joy. We think that we can have this on our own and we end up, what, frustrated, lost, withdrawn? That's not wisdom. 
So again, what is it then? What is wisdom? We'll look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Solomon writes, Trust in the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. What is wisdom? You're going to hear this throughout Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What's the fear of the Lord? That's this awe, this reverence, this, oh my word, this, our God is amazing. Look at what he's done. Look at who he is. We're just blown away by his goodness, by his transcendency, if you will. Just how amazing God is. That's the fear of the Lord. So how does wisdom start? Well, it starts by placing your entire trust in the Lord and then seeking his guidance to know what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. Now notice, I made hopefully pretty clear, the Lord, that word Lord here is all capitalized. If you ever see that in your Bible reading, this is the image that God wants you to have. He has all these different titles of himself throughout the Bible, but this one is especially cool. When you see that capital L-O-R-D, you're to think of your God as he truly is. Your compassionate God who is slow to anger and abounding in love, your God who always keeps his promises, your God who will never lie to you, and your God who died so you could have real life, lasting and full. Wisdom at street level begins with putting not just some of your trust, but all of your trust in the Lord. You place your intellect, your emotions, your will entirely into God's hands, dismissing any thoughts that contradict his will, that anything evil, you just can't stand it because you know his word, you know his will. And in everything you do, you acknowledge him. You give him the glory. You appeal to him. You look to him when faced with decisions in life. From the most mundane to the most complex, you naturally by faith turn away from evil. You look outside yourself to his word, to his promises, to his proverbs. For the answers the world and your sinful nature tells you you'll find inside. Your heart of faith knows that's a dead end. The only way you have a straight path through life and this is not to say that when you trust in the Lord that everything will go your way. Far better than that, the only way you have a straight path through life is when you trust in the Lord. Because that path remains straightly focused. It is never going to change because it's not just a technique to live. It's not just a philosophy to believe in. This path the Lord has put in front of you, guess what? Guess who paved it? The one who is the way, the truth, and the life. He who is the way, the truth, and the life just so happens to be wisdom himself. How do we gain true wisdom? What does wisdom himself, Jesus, say in Matthew 11? He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, those again who are wise in their own eyes, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. The Lord must reveal this wisdom. This isn't wisdom that you can attain on your own. This is wisdom given to you through the gospel by God himself. And Jesus goes on. He says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. How do we gain wisdom? Notice what that passage says. It's all Jesus. Jesus gives such wisdom to us. Jesus alone gives us the gift of wisdom. And you know why he longs to give you wisdom? It's so you stop looking within. So you stop the exhausting search of trying to discover what only God can give you. So you can stop expecting the impossible of yourself. So you can quit stressing over not knowing what decision to make or how to make it. He gives you wisdom. Why? Well, look at what he says. He gives you wisdom 
And he says this to you every single day, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wisdom is really all about rest. When we know what to do, that's knowledge. When we know how to do it, that's skill. And the right time to do it, that's tact. We rest. And yet, as we all know too well in our sin, we often, most of the time, we don't know what to do. Or if we do, we don't have the skill or ability or the willpower to do it. Or we blow the opportunity we had to do it. We cannot be wise on our own. Which is why wisdom himself needed to come down to us. What makes Christianity so different from the wisdom of philosophers and other religions is that for Christianity, wisdom isn't a teaching. He's a real person. He's Jesus. He's the Word who is with God in the beginning. John 1 verse 1. Did you catch that in Proverbs 8? When it speaks about wisdom being there, when the heavens were set in place, when the oceans were made, when the foundations of the earth were laid, there's these two most grace-gorgeous verses of the Bible. Proverbs 8, verses 31 and 32, and it says, I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting in mankind. You know who this is talking about, right? The Word who became flesh. Jesus, who is there. There at creation. The Word was there. The creating Word. Because the universe didn't happen by sheer chance. The universe is not a random explosion of energy or because some deity arbitrarily or begrudgingly chose to make it. The universe happened through an explosion of love. Our triune God, so perfectly in sync with one another, it was their love, an extension of that love that led them to create a world completely designed by their wisdom. They were delighting as they made people, sheer delight when they thought of putting you together. I love the Hebrew nuance of the word delight. When you see that word here in Proverbs 8, the picture is of a dad or a parent, a mom even, but a parent playing with a child. It's like a dad playfully wrestling with their child, dancing, having the best time in the world. That's the delight the Lord has as he thinks about you. And that's the delight he had when he created this whole world with you in mind. It's that delight that he longed to have back. It's that delight that led him, the most, the most successful person ever, to become the greatest sufferer the world has and ever will see. He chose to put on that yoke. The yoke of our punishment, our pain, our wisdom wandering, our arrogance, our pride, all of our longing for evil. He put all those sins on his back so he could give you a far different yoke. In his wisdom, our Creator Savior laid down his life so he could rejoice with you again. He could be with you again. That he could delight with you again. And that's why I think it's so neat that in Matthew 11, Jesus specifically chose to use the picture of a yoke. Now, if you're trying to visualize what a yoke is, it's not an egg yoke. But think about if you've seen pictures of two oxen with this big kind of wood brace over their shoulders. That's the yoke Jesus is talking about. The yoke that they would hold on their shoulders as they plowed through fields. He chooses that picture to describe the wisdom of of faith for such an amazing reason. Here it is. Number one, the yoke is never placed on just one beast of burden. There's always two. Jesus invites us to be under that yoke with him as he does all the carrying. And we get to walk with him. 
When we realize how God delights in us as his children, how he has forgiven us, how he cherishes us, the Bible reveals to us that God, he doesn't simply want us to live a life of moral obligation to him. He wants us to enjoy a life of delighting in him. That's why also you'll, you'll find that wisdom in the book of Proverbs is often personified as a woman. Now keep in mind the original audience of Proverbs it was designed for young men to read alongside with their dads or other mentors. That was the original audience of Proverbs. And so the idea was pursuing wisdom is really pursuing the Lord in all things. And this pursuit is not just trying to follow a set of rules. That's exhausting, deflating, and impossible. Pursuing the Lord is something like pursuing the love of your life. You just want to be with them. You just want to glorify them in a way, right? You want to build them up. You want to just love them and know them and because they mean so much to you. You just can't imagine life without them. It's that pursuit that so many women, right? Most women, I would even say, the feeling of a man loving them selflessly and going after them and going out of their way to love them and to share that love with them. That's what Proverbs is talking about. Pursuing the Lord in everything. It's joy-filled. It's delightful. It's enjoyable. And yes, it's enjoyable even, even as the Lord puts his yoke on us. Now, not only, I mean, Jesus has carried the ultimate yoke, right? You know what that yoke is personally for you? One word, it's discipline. It doesn't sound so enjoyable to you to think about God putting a yoke of discipline on you or have her telling us, right, we're going to bear a cross in this life. It doesn't sound loving, but it's because the Lord loves you so very much, because he delights in you, his blood-bought child so very much. What does Proverbs 3 say? It says, my child, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And then here, I love this. As a father, the child he delights in. There's delight again. Because God delights in you so much, he will foil your best laid plans for your life. <laughs> because he loves you and delights in you so much, he will interrupt how you've sequenced your life. Because he loves you so much, he will let pain come into your life. And he does that, why? Because he loves you. He does that so you stop looking within or all around you so that you look up vertically to Jesus. He didn't just give you, he didn't give you just a set of rules of how to live your life. He lived the life you and I couldn't. He died the death we should have died. He came to live the life we needed to live but could never do. And he alone brought us into God's love. Which in one sense destroys our pride because we realize we could never have achieved that. And then... When we feel like we're not valuable, that we're lost, that we're alone, that we're worthless, remembering that Jesus gave his own life for us reminds us of the status we have as children of God. That's who we are. When it comes to wisdom, it really boils down to this. Jesus and his cross, his empty tomb, is the only wisdom that will give you real rest. He alone is the wisdom who reveals to you who you are and why you're here. He alone is the wisdom who will give you clarity and direction. When you inevitably face a decision, which you will this week, a situation you don't know how to handle, what Jesus does is he points you to not look within, but to run to him, to run to the one who promises to give you rest, and he will. How does Jesus show himself? It's with surrounding yourself with Christian brothers and sisters, 
help you with those decisions, to talk with people who are older than you, to have those life experiences, Christians who have been through the ringer and have come through it stronger. How Jesus speaks to you through his word, he speaks to you that same word through those he loves, his children. He will continue giving you rest because the more you look at the cross, the more you realize that you're never alone in these decisions, whatever decisions you may be facing, you are surrounded by the grace-filled, Jesus-given wisdom of God. Amen. Like I said to you before, I, I'm thrilled to be going through the book of Proverbs. We're going to be, the first four weeks, we're kind of looking at the more foundational things about what wisdom is and what it's not. And then after that, for the next seven weeks, we'll be going into specific things like money and marriage and friendship. All these core components of who we are and what our lives revolve around. We're going to talk about what Proverbs, what the Lord has to say about those things. And I cannot wait to continue learning alongside you as we jump into this incredible book called Proverbs. God's richest blessings as you live for him now and always. Mm-hmm.